Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. You are listening to Where Should I Invest with Sarah Larby. Today's guest is my great friend, Rachel Maloney, who has been a real estate investor and has scaled her portfolio to 140 doors. And uh, we talk a lot about how to thrive in a potential down market and uh, different turbulent times. We also talk about creative financing, negotiation, and everything in between. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast with Rachel. She's also a realtor and has helped me acquire many of my own properties along the years. So with that said, let's bring in Rachel. Rachel, welcome. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Good, good. I, I finally got you on Where Should I Invest after many years. I'm excited. I couldn't hide anymore. I tried, but I couldn't hide behind the link. Awesome. So guys, Rachel and I are good friends. And Rachel is also a real estate investor and a realtor and has been, you know, one of my main go-tos for many years for myself, for students, investors, and you know your stuff. And so we're like, let's bring you on. I, I feel like I asked you like every so often, we like, we you booked did. it in the calendar and we're yeah. like, do this. <laughs> You're like, now that it's in there, I'm committed. I accepted. So here we are. Awesome. Awesome. So so tell us a little bit about you and, and your background with uh, with real estate. Yeah. So I've been a full-time, I've been licensed since 2017, but a full-time realtor since 2019. I fell into sort of that investor space. At first, originally I got into this to be like a residential realtor, and then my eyes were open to investments. So a lot of my network and my husband actually works with a really good friend of ours who's also a joint venture partner, and he opened our eyes to investing and sort of helped me get comfortable in that market and explore that. So for the last, I don't know, since I've lost track of time. So since 2019, I've been specializing in working with investors, whether that be finding Burr projects, Airbnbs. Now we're talking about like midterm and diversification, but I'm fairly well-versed in a little bit of everything or a lot of one thing. And then obviously residential as well. So I do like to help those first timers as well as, you know, any of my clients who just might be looking to move themselves. Awesome. Now, as a real estate investor as well, I, you know, I think you scaled quickly. Yeah. Um, share with us your journey from a from an investor side. Yeah. So I believe it was 2019 or 2020. I know it, it bridges near the end of the year. I, I was speaking with my husband and our good friend and he was like, it's time for you guys to get involved. Like you're selling these things. You understand it. Now it's time to buy. And so we bought our first property. And then a week later, I think we bought our second. So we were kind of doing a quick little from one to something really quickly overnight. And then from there, we've grown, I want to say, over 140 doors since then. So, yeah, we kind of scaled and grew quite quickly over the last few years. So what was the real estate investing strategy that you utilized? So at first it was Burr and it was adding additional units too. So we would go through the conversion process. That was something that we started more so in the South. And then we kind of shifted gears to a minor Burring cash flow play. So we started looking in, you know, secondary and third markets where you could buy and acquire properties at a really discounted rate compared to the GTHA, let's call it. And they would cash flow on day one and we'd be able to go in and do minor cosmetic upgrades. So we're talking you know, maybe a kitchen here, a bathroom there, paint, floors, like very simple uh, renovations that would still force that value over time. But 
wouldn't necessarily increase it by hundreds or hundreds of thousands of dollars that we're doing out this way. Right. Okay. Awesome. So there was a cash flow play. There was a little bit of a equity lift play as well. Now, were these like smaller multis? Were they singles? Like what would they look like? So some of them are smaller multis, but for the majority, a lot of them are single family properties. So we're out in Timmins, Sault Ste. Marie and Sudbury. We bought out there I would say two years ago before it got, it has been saturated since we got really lucky that we bought it before people started exploring it a little bit more. So mm-hmm. we did almost see that 30% natural lift without even doing anything just based on people jumping on the market and driving the pricing up. So we got a little bit of the he- ahead of the game. And that's sort of what we did in Niagara as well in St. Catharines. We purchased before it got saturated. So a lot of times we're, I'm not going to say we're ahead of the game. But we work with a really good strategic partner who is always sort of looking and studying the markets and then is like, this is where we're going to go next. So it's building up that whole team and all these different secondary and third markets that didn't seem desirable, but are more desirable as, you know, interest rates go up, housing costs go up and just trying to think outside the box. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, obviously going from, you know, one property to, you know, multiple properties. Yeah is a lot of time and effort and very, you know, strategic maneuvering along the way. You know, what are some insights that you can share in your journey about how, you know, you've been able to scale? Like, were there ways that you maybe brought in partners or private money or like, how does somebody scale, you know, like you in a very short amount of time? And and what insights can you provide? So I personally can't take all the credit. So I that's where I'm going to sort of take this conversation. I think that it's really smart to align yourself with really good partners who have already sort of have a rinse and repeat system that they've created. So in our case, I think there's a time and place for partnerships, don't get me wrong. But for us, in order to scale and grow at the level that we did have joint venture partner who did create the systems, who had the capacity to sit behind the scenes and, you know, develop that property management company, find, you know, all the stuff that's required in terms of construction, lenders, all that fun stuff. So we've been very lucky to align ourselves with like a really good friend. I, my husband works very closely with him. So he does a lot of the management of things and even finding the talent to do all these renovations and such. So he's more hands-on. But I would say that if you don't know where to begin, it's really good to find yourself like a mentor or a great joint venture partner who sort of comes in and helps guide that process a little bit more for you. Not to say that you can't find mentors or coaches or Mm. learn stuff on your own, but for us, for that significant growth, we did really kind of jump in with somebody who was already doing it and created like a rinse and repeat process. So we did use private money for a lot of this as well. So we're using other people's money, private money, and really the equity when we could refinance properties, we would use that money to support future uh, purposes. Wow. Purchases. (laughs) So that's sort of what we did in terms of scaling and growing. Amazing. What what challenges can you share that, you know, maybe encountered in your journey along yeah. the way that you can, you know, provide some insights to somebody listening to this that potentially wants to follow in similar footsteps? I would say right now we're all navigating a new market. So when we were all kind of purchasing and acquiring, we were seeing how fast the market was rapidly increasing and our values were going up significantly, like overnight, really, at times. And right now, I think It's having almost a plan or preparing and running your numbers conservatively. So I would say when we're purchasing properties, it's always great to run your numbers on worst case scenario and hope for the best. We've learned that through being fairly conservative, we weren't hit as hard as some who were 
kind of riding the best of the best and this is the best outcome. It's like that's too scary and too risky. And so for us, I'd say be very conservative and prepare for hiccups. It's really wise to have some extra funds in the bank just because private money obviously gets expensive. Things aren't refinancing as quickly as they once upon a time were. So you're holding on to this debt longer. And with that, sometimes comes annual renewal fees. Like you're looking at extra, you know, 10, 20 to 50, depending on how much you have, just having that extra cushion of cash or being prepared to pivot a little bit and ride this out because I don't think any of us purchased in the last year expecting what we're going through right now. So I would say the refi process is actually the most stressful part. And I had that happen too with a cottage that I renovated. That was, we got hit hard last October, but it's held its value to date, but it's just like being patient and having a couple option A, B, and C and worst case scenario and best case scenario. I think it's really wise to run all, I don't know if scenarios that could come up along the way. Yeah, no, I agree. Who knew that they were going to do like 10 increases so close together? And like, I I think everyone's feeling the pain. It's like, it's not fun out there. No, it's stressful for everybody. And if people are telling you they're not feeling the stress, I think that's a bit of a, it's a fit, but I mean, fake it till you make it or believe like best case scenario. But I think right now, yeah, it's just, it's tough out there, but there's definitely products to help you. It's just finding them and being patient enough to kind of ride it out to find or work with professionals that can help guide the process Mm -hmm. for sure now you work with obviously a lot of investors i mean you do obviously residential sales with homeowners but you know you know your stuff because you're an investor and and you've been you know seeing others you know your husband and and whatnot for many years invest in the game what are you seeing from an investor standpoint like i guess as a realtor but from investors like what are they kind of sitting on the sidelines right now like because like a lot of your I think a lot of your clients are investors. What are they feeling? What are they saying? What are they seeing? So I feel like there's a lot of hesitation and fear of the unknown. So what I'm seeing is some people sitting on the sidelines. And what I'm more or less saying is let's buy cash flowing assets today where you can see value in it in the future. I think that we were all so wrapped up in this like forced appreciation and utilizing that Burr method to recycle our equity. But right now, if your money's just sitting in the bank and doing nothing for you, you may as well invest in something that cash flows on day one, but you can see future values. So maybe you can add a garden suite. Maybe you can duplex it. It just doesn't make sense to do it now. But the market has its ebbs and flows and it always does come back, but it's just being wise about what you're buying. So I think it's a big mindset shift and I'm kind of doing more education calls versus purchasing calls and being like, congratulations, you got the property. Like there was a time where it was like we went in blind at things and the best offer stuck. Whereas now we can actually negotiate, which is Mm -hmm. amazing. Mm -hmm. I can see some people getting a little scared because they're not cash flowing right now. They were on a variable mortgage and what was once upon a time cash flowing is no longer cash flowing. And we have to reassess whether it makes sense to hold on to the asset and if they can ride it out for the next year or two with, let's just say like, negative cash flow, but like they're not bleeding. The bank isn't bleeding, you know? So it's really just doing a lot of reassessing. I think having goals analysis and goals calls to really find out what people are looking for and what they can do and how they can make their money work for them with minimal risk, which there's risk associated with everything, but trying to get ahead of it or look at different opportunities. So I would say everyone's a little bit quiet for the most part. I'm seeing that commercial space explode, but the smaller multis, it's a bit quiet. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. 
Hello, everyone. I am happy to finally be able to share with you some interest rate great news. Based on a lot of analysis and reports from economists coming out lately and some highly technical readings of tea leaves of the bond market trading, there are many who think that mortgage rates will fall in 2024. But not only that, they're expecting them to fall fast. Here's why. The five-year government bond yield recently hit a five-month slump and is projected to fall further to around 3.4%. This is a strong and a clear sign that the Bank of Canada will start cutting interest rates in 2024. Based on history, prime rate could potentially drop by 300 points from its current peak of 7.2% down to 4.2%. And that would bring unprecedented relief to those of you who are on variable rate or adjustable rate mortgages. With high rent and mortgage interest inflation set to dramatically ease in the next year, Canada's overall inflation rate may sink below 1% by late 2024. This raises the odds of aggressive rate cuts if economic growth also slows down. So, with fixed mortgage rates are still above the 6% mark, it makes little sense right now locking into a five-year fix if you can comfortably carry a variable or an adjustable rate. And yes, the rates can theoretically spike up, but the market indicators argue that a plunge is a lot more likely in the next five years. As for home prices, lower rates may provide some improvement in affordability, but it likely won't last long if immigration and demand stay strong. We will talk more about price forecasts at another time, but for now, the current forecast is that further price declines are likely to be short-lived and the trend should turn around by Q2 of 2024. For now, please know that as of today, December 4th, 2023, as of today's data, variable and adjustable rate mortgages offer you the best chance to minimize interest costs for, you know, qualified borrowers over the next five years. If you're looking to renew into a five-year fixed today, essentially you would be donating money to your lender. You would be giving them a Christmas gift. Savvy investors who are looking to enter or expand their real estate portfolio should run the numbers on a variable rate mortgage to maximize their leverage and long-term returns. So if you have a renewal that is coming up, if you're currently experiencing a cash flow crunch, or if you're looking to position financing strategically to expand your portfolio in the next 12 to 18 months, reach out to my team at info at streetwisemortgages.com and we would be happy to guide you. And now back to the show. So from a Burr standpoint, do you think the Burr is dead? Let's actually, let me rephrase that. Do you think the Burr is dead on the small multis? I would say unless you're getting a significant discount where you can guarantee, like, you know, you can force the appreciation by a minimum of 20%, I'd say it's very difficult. Like people might find it. They might find some off market. You might be able to knock on a door and someone might be losing their mortgage. I don't think we've really got to that point yet. People are losing. I'm seeing bank sales pop up. But unless you're getting something and you're buying somebody out of a really crappy situation, I'd say that in our area, like where we reside for the most part, so GTJ, I'd say it's uh, it's a struggle. I won't say it's dead because I'm sure someone will be like, she doesn't know what she's talking about. But for the most part, 
I'd say like it's hard unless you're very creative and you're hitting the pavement on your own and you're finding these deals and able to negotiate VTBs and like you just have to be creative right now in order to make that Burr method work. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I agree with you. I think the Burr did well. And I think in the last with the current rates, I don't think it, it's dead. Yeah. But I like to ask these shocking questions once in a while. No, I, not. I think no, I think it's a good question. I just I think that in order to find those burrs, you have to be very creative or willing to take on something that's like in rough shape or take on somebody's debt. Really, at the end of the like you're going to desperation, I guess I should say, like someone's going to get desperate to sell. And that's when you can swoop in and be the hero. And hopefully. Yeah. And I think too, like to go back to what you said and this kind of where I'm I'm going with this burr stuff is I, I think it needs to now become burring larger types of real mm-hmm. residential real estate or like, you know, when it becomes five or more units, then it's commercial residential. Yeah. Um, and utilizing CMHC and MLI. I think there's a big piece of that. I mean, technically you're still burring. It's just a different. Um, and I think that like your duplex conversions, again, unless you're getting an amazing deal, they're probably not cash flowing at the, you know, six, seven percent rates. No. But I want to like go back to what you were saying, unless you're very strategic. Maybe yeah. you put students. Maybe you do it as a, you know, co-senior living space where you're renting out the rooms to seniors for a lot more. You're doing midterm rentals. Like, yeah. you know, they could work. But I think this is going to be a time where the speculators will not do so well. And you need to stand out and be the, that strategic investor and really look at like all the different strategies and what makes sense per deal. And likely it's going to be a combination of more than just one thing, right? You might burr and then you might rent to students or you might go midterm or you might do something different. But I think, you know, just going with a long-term rental strategy on a two-unit conversion in Hamilton doesn't really work like it used to. No, I would agree wholeheartedly. And also just like dealing with the risk of the LTV and things not being on your plate. It's like, do you want 100% of your asset being occupied by long-term tenants? Or do you want to maybe diversify your portfolio a little bit? Jump in that midterm space. Look at that student space where, you know, they're coming in for a couple months to maybe a year, maximum two. But we're seeing such a shortage in student rentals right now. Just after COVID, Mm -hmm. people pivoted, did long-term lease agreements with people can't get them out. And now we're seeing anywhere from sometimes $600 to $1,000 a door on a student rental, which is crazy. Like it's actually insane. So I'm telling people like, start looking at that maybe. And we just have to be more, I think, strategic as to where we're buying to make sure that these strategies can also work and see like you want to be close to conference centers, schools, like Mm -hmm. all of that stuff, anything touristy, any of that stuff. So I would agree. I think that you have to be creative right now and diversify a little bit. Mm-hmm. Did you hear that there's going to be about 800,000 plus students coming in the next year internationally? Like, yeah. where, where are they going? Like, I don't know. We I mean, don't even where they're going to go live other than tents. We don't even have enough houses for the people that live here right now. It's insane. Yeah, I'm seeing tents and stuff pop up in Burlington and that like wasn't a thing. Even water. Da- it's crazy. Like you're seeing a higher homeless population all over the place. We weren't really seeing it before, in my opinion. Like, we did see it. Don't get me wrong, but it was always in, like, those typical cores. And now you're kind of seeing it pop up everywhere. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Hard, hard times. And I still think we're in it for a little bit. I agree. It's, yeah. uh, you know, there's a lot of people, like, living paycheck to paycheck who still have, you know, a year or whatever left in their fixed rates. 
And as soon as that comes due, if the, the rates are still high, I just uh, I worry what's going to happen to to those folks. Oh, yeah. Like I had to renew this year. It wasn't fun. No, just, exactly. Fun. Yeah, it wasn't fun. And I see. Yeah, it's going to be tricky, especially when you have a couple clients who have a few houses coming up for renewal. It's not like it's going in ebbs and flows. I feel like a lot of people refinance at the exact same time and therefore like a chunk of their portfolio and all of that's going to come up for renewal at the exact same time as well. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So what are you doing with your portfolio? Are you holding? Are you selling a little bit? Are you divesting? Yep. So we're selling a little bit of it. So whatever doesn't really make sense or that we're not going to complete just because it's high interest debt, we're starting to like wash away certain ones that can go to the market right now. So I think the last time I spoke with Ryan, it was looking like potentially uh, nine. Sorry if I cut out for a second there. My phone went off. I think we were selling off like nine this month in different areas. Obviously, you don't want to oversaturate a market with your own listings and create your own competition. And then other stuff, we're working on some strategic refinancing options. But again, in Canada, it's so hard. Like in the US, I feel like there's more financing options for larger corporations and multiple doors, let's call it. Whereas in Canada, it's it's very black and white. And now it's working with these credit unions or these different options that might be outside of the box to help refinance some of the capital out of your projects. So the goal is to hold on to as much as we can. But what doesn't make sense must go. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, just want to take a moment and introduce you to one of my favorite paralegals, Andrew Chubetta. With over a combined decade of experience, Caveat LLP provides legal assistance for real estate investors and entrepreneurs, primarily practicing in the areas of landlord and tenant law. Caveat LLP is your one-stop shop when dealing with all of your tenant issues. Give them a call for a free consultation at 289-339-1311. That is Caveat LLP. Andrew Chubetta has been instrumental in helping me as a landlord and as a real estate investor, and I'm sure he can help you as well. Again, that's 289-339-1311. And now back to the show. Yeah, exactly. And rental rates have skyrocketed too, right? So like when you're looking at like a tenant that's been there for five years that are so behind market rents and you've got your like high interest and then you've got higher payments and now your cash flow negative a thousand bucks, it's like, this is why I go midterm for a lot of these rent yeah. places because it just, and I don't think the rents are done increasing. I still no. think there is some like, because of the shortages. Yep. It's just yeah, a supply demand issue. I think what you're doing with midterm is a really smart move. And I've even been talking to like a lot of clients, like, can you Airbnb something? Can mm-hmm. you put it on mer- midterm? Sorry. Like, what can we do? That's a little bit different because we're not at the peak of what the rental I mean, unless the government somehow implements, I just don't know how they ever could. It's like they'd have to freeze interest rates at the same time, which they don't control either. So, yeah, I mean, and you know what I'm seeing a lot of and I'm hearing a lot of investors just selling these properties. So what's going to happen to the rental market? Like if a home buyer buys these, you know, these properties and investors are not going to want to take something that's tenanted with the low rents and and the lack of cash flow. So like, what is that going to look like? Right. I think that's going to be interesting because the rental market, unfortunately, I think is going to be squeezed even more as there's less and less inventory and they're making it more difficult. Yep. We were talking about that in our team meeting the other day, the exact same conversation, because it's like investors are cashing out. Even at the event that you hosted the other day, it's like people are starting to just cash out and look at other options, whether it's overseas, over the border, 
just something where they have a little bit more control over who and how their units are being occupied. So really interesting. And, you know, like even though there is a ton of doom and gloom, I still think that there are some opportunities that we didn't have two years ago. Negotiation ability, ETB options, creative financing options, the CMH CMLI select option is definitely, you know, up up there with some of my favorites. And then tweaking your rental strategy. 100%. I was just watching some, I was hosting an online event. And one of the speakers was talking about co-senior living. So it's like student rentals, but you're renting to seniors and you get more rent. And there are definitely like a lot, there's less wear and tear. And there are just people that are, you know, not yet ready for like assisted living. And they're still quite independent and they don't necessarily want to be affording, you know, double, triple the rent. So they're renting a room with other seniors around the same age. I thought that was genius. I think there's a huge need for that as baby boomers. Yeah. Older. I couldn't agree more. And like, even if, and this is just thinking outside the box, but they could have like a household nurse that essentially comes in services, hmm. handful of them. And then Absolutely. off they go. Absolutely. Yeah. A friend of mine had actually a house for sale on the mountain with uh, an elevator in it, probably still there. And I'm shocked that it didn't go because if it was like for my mom and dad, I would have bought it knowing that mortgage is cheaper than me putting them into a senior care facility with full-time help. Yeah. Like, way cheaper. But. Yeah. So I think like aside from student rentals, like coming back and being a thing again, yeah. and I think back in the day it was saturated, but like th- to me, that's a huge opportunity worth exploring and, you know, accessible homes to yeah. some extent, I think is going to be a huge thing. The yeah. wait for somebody to go into a like senior's residence is years, years. Insane. And it's thousands of dollars. I I had a friend who worked for one of the homes anyways. And sometimes like I think the packages were like 12K a month. It's insane. Great. That was to start because that was like a premium. Yeah. And that includes like food and stuff like that too. But but still like. That's a lot. Yeah. Right. We're complaining about our mortgage payments going up $2,000 a month. Meanwhile, like you sell your, these people are mortgage free to like $12,000 a month and just healthcare expenses essentially. But yeah. yeah. It's a huge market. And I think it's going to get more and more, you know, like more important in the next few years as uh, the population ages. So, you know, those are some things to hop on bandwagons early, right? Set the trends and and do something different. Just like I think the midterm thing is, you know, I think it's still untapped. Airbnb, I think, is getting saturated. So like, you know, it's just time to think outside the box. What are you seeing? You know, what creative stuff are you seeing out your way? In terms of like for buying and stuff? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, right. so or, exactly. e- or even like somebody like taking their portfolio and like doing something creative with it that makes sense in this market. Well, I'm starting to see people being open to BTBs and even on the back end. So when we're looking at listings, a lot of times we have we're privy to certain remarks that the public wouldn't be. So we're now starting to see just like people open to creative financing or they want to quit close. And this sounds ridiculous too, but even as agents, we're getting incentivized. Like if you can close the house by XYZ date, seller willing to pay you an extra $5,000 bonus. Like we're starting to see people, I I think A, panicking a little bit when selling things or B, knowing that you have to work with the buyer. For years, the sellers held all of the cards in their hands and we bowed down and did and mm-hmm. did whatever they wanted. And now we're starting to see, you know, knob and tube remediation, asbestos, like there's crazy amounts of things being written into these contracts because buyers have the upper hand right now. And if sellers need to sell and they're in a bad spot. So, 
yeah, we're starting to see BTBs. I just did a deal where the seller took a significant discount to stay in the property for up to 30 days after closing. We had a lawyer draft the lease on that one because it's not like an actual, we had to make it so that it didn't follow under the Ontario Standard Lease Agreement. So we did something like that. Next time, I guess we could reach out and do like a midterm <laughs> like contract of some sort. But we're starting to see sellers and buyers working together to come to a mutual agreement versus, you know, just throwing a number at the wall and hoping that it sticks. So that's what I'm really seeing. And then we're obviously seeing people start to pivot and buy things where they can maybe add a unit in the basement, whether it's legal or illegal, just to offset their living expenses, especially the young, younger crowds. Like, it's actually really great to see them thinking outside the box and being like, how can I afford a home versus renting? And what can I do in order to offset our living expenses to get a little bit more ahead? So it's actually really intriguing to watch people starting to shift and starting to be creative in their purchases as well and what they're buying and why they're buying it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely some interesting points there. Yeah. What about like ADUs? Are you seeing any opportunity there with additional dwelling units or like garage conversions or any of that? Yeah. Yep. So a lot of times when I'm even working, it's because I have that investor mindset, whether I'm working with an investor or a homeowner, I'm always like, you could offset your costs with an ADU back here. If you're actually, I've seen a lot on Facebook, which is super random to drop, but like people are actually asking for land leases in people's houses. Hmm. So there's actually people that are now reaching out. So I think that there might be an opportunity as a homeowner, if you have a massive lot, to maybe offer up a parcel of your land for lease. I don't know what the rule, like we'd have to do some more due diligence. We'd have to talk to a lawyer. But I think that a lot of millennials are also starting to think different. And a lot of times I'm noticing is people, depending on their job, we're all looking for jobs that allow us to travel. So I feel like people just want a place to park their belongings and then they travel all over the place and they're interested in parking in AD, like when I say parking, building an ADU in people's backyards and leasing that land, knowing that they have somewhere to come back to. So that was an interesting one. I saw literally the other day and it was like, anybody here willing to lease a part of their backyard for mm -hmm. us to put in like a garden suite? So I think that there's going to be some unique things that people might consider or should maybe consider as an extra revenue stream for them if they're willing to have people in their backyard. And it's not going to cost them really anything if the person's going to come in and do all of the work. Or maybe you position it the other way where you do it all. So it's built to your specs. They pay a rent and you figure something out on the back end. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, this yeah. is the creativity can can be had, right? I think yeah. for many years we were like we were just happy if we got anything because there's yep. nothing available to and then this and then everything would go into multiple offers and no conditions like this is actually like in a way it's a time that two years ago we would have been waiting for it like granted yep. without, without that many rate increases I think that that's a little ridiculous but yep. you know when you're looking at the opportunity now to be creative and like to maybe get the the seller to hold back a portion of the down payment, as an example, as a second mortgage so that you don't have to pay as much up front. This is a good negotiation ability. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what's going to happen from it? Like, I mean, I think if it makes sense today and as the rates come back down, it should cash flow pretty well. If you're yeah. like cash flow neutral today, you know, at your 7% or whatever that looks like. Yep. Again, are rates going to go up a little bit in the fall? Maybe, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But, you know, they're not going to stay high forever because unless the government wants to own everything and we don't own yeah. anything, who knows? There's yeah. things out there, too. But there's so much speculation. But 
I agree. Like, that's why I'm even telling people, I'm like, even if you're losing $100 a month right now, that's not that bad. There's people that are losing a couple thousand dollars a month. And if you can ride it out as the interest rates go down, typically housing prices go up and you'll naturally have that appreciation without doing anything to your asset whatsoever. So that's what I'm telling a lot of people. It's good to buy in a down market if you can and if it makes mm. sense. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing I would just say, and I think we're going to go to our lightning round after is, you know, I think one of the things that you did really well with helping investors is you looked at like options, exit strategy one, exit strategy two. You can, yep. you know, rent it this way or that way. I feel bad for people that have purchased these pre-constructions because they had you know, some really low deposit structures and then all of a sudden now they have to close at 7% and they knew already that they were going to try to, you know, maybe sell it or whatnot. Like, I think those people are going to be in a lot of trouble. I had a lawyer reach out to me to help the other day and they're not allowed to put it on MLS. Why? It was written in the contract. These builders still control a lot. Like, you have to be careful when people are buying pre-construction. Like, you need to have your lawyer review it. There's so many things inside those contracts that are usually favorable to the the builder. So mm -hmm. she wasn't she didn't have an assignment contract in there. So mm -hmm. she's probably likely going to get sued or lose her deposit and the builder will make their money back over time. But you just need to make sure in a lot of builders when the market was hot, wasn't really doing that 10 day cooling period that buyers once upon a time were privy to. A lot of people were just signing the line and had no idea. And for the people listening, you can bring a realtor to those sales centers. And a lot of times they will ask these questions that you may not know. Mm -hmm. So I, it's just some food for thought. But yeah, so they can't sell it. It's a three bed condo in Tilsonburg, I think. So if anyone's looking, let me know. <laughs> they hear this. But I have a feeling it's just going to, I don't know what's going to happen. Wasn't my so no and you know what my issue with condos too like if you're gonna buy pre-construction i don't know buy a triplex or someone if, if someone's creating it but like yeah you know a, a condo you're gonna be privy to the condo board rules and like you know what yep. you decide to do from a rental strategy like there's just too many unknowns yep. and even the buildings that allow short-term rentals are gonna be saturated with a bunch of them anyways so like i would just say no condos probably yep. for the next like three or four years no pre-construction yep. like it's never been a good strategy that i no, really liked anyways. Like I'd rather, like pre-construction has its space. I think if you're doing it, or you're creating triplexes, or you're you know buying a triplex that's going to cash flow. But like you're, you know, you can't just look at like, oh, this is like a five percent down. I don't have to pay anything until like 180 days from now. Like, you know what? It sounds good, but like it's not necessarily going to be the be all and end all. And now everyone that has purchased these are now facing the consequences. Hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. Well, on that note, though, there are still strategies that make sense. And I think there's going to be some strategies that come out and the rental market is going to be, I think, is going to get better and better for investors that are holding on. So, you know, this these times will pass. Look for these opportunities. There are going to be more opportunities, I think, today than there there have been really in the last five yeah. years, in my opinion. Yep, I agree. Couldn't agree more. Like I'm telling people down market's not a bad time to buy and just even buy for future value. Don't even... Like, as long as it kind of makes sense today, it will make more sense in two to three years when we kind of stabilize again. So I don't know. I just I feel like people just run your numbers, check your math and look for future opportunity and future growth within the communities that you're buying. in. And it, it will always be a good buy if it works today. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. So, okay, the next part of the podcast is lightning rounds. So I'm going to ask you five oh, no. questions. You can give me the first answer yes. that comes to mind in like 10 seconds or less. You ready? I'll try. Yeah. All right. Welcome to your midterm tip of the week. This week, we talk about why you should choose to stay in a midterm rental. A midterm rental is a fully furnished, quality assured property that you can rent when you are in need of a place to stay and your home is not available. You could be between moves, buying or selling your house. You could be between a divorce, moving to a new country and you need a place while you look for a longer term stay. You could be between renovations and need a home to stay while your home is being improved. In all of these cases, the midterm rental property is the right choice because we are a one-stop shop where all of your communication, your needs, and your stay will be handled by our expert team. We have a white glove service that offers additional concierge services during your stay. For more information, please contact www.midtermrentalproperties.com. Number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book? Oh, I think Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And I think everybody says that. I think you got that right. <laughs> is that really the first, the most? It's a good foundation book. It's a good foundation book. Everyone oh. understands it, but I've read many others. Yeah, absolutely. Podcast related. What is your favorite non-real estate podcast? Not, ooh, I like a true crime. I don't have a first one for you, but like, I like a dateline. Love a good true crime. Okay, awesome. Number three, what do you do for fun? Oh, I, ooh, that's a good one. I like to go to the gym and hang out with my friends. <laughs> Such sure. a Awesome. Yeah. And number four, if you lost everything tomorrow, tomorrow, all your assets, your real estate, your money, how would you start again? I would start the way I, I would start all over, just like I started the other day. I would take a risk, buy something, and use other people's money to help scale and grow it. Okay, awesome. And if somebody has $50,000, this is their last question, and they want to spend that money, how would you recommend that they use it? Oh, right now, I would say potentially doing, I know it's not a huge amount, but maybe looking at some private lending. There's a lot of people looking to bridge some gaps right now. And I think it's a pretty safe option. If okay. you're, or go somewhere small market where you can put 50K down. Awesome. Rachel, thank you for playing the lightning round. Where can my listeners find out more and reach out to you? They can find me on Instagram and it's Rachel Roggs underscore realtor, or they can look us up on our website at www.rmrealtygroup.ca. Wow, I almost screwed that one up. Okay, rmrealtygroup.ca. Correct. Okay, awesome, Rachel. Thanks so much for being on the show. No, thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larvey. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.